0: Hello, you're listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. Who am I? I'm going on my 30th year of marriage to my lovely wife, Michelle. I'm a father of six, a lawyer, a big fan of St. Joan of Arc Parish and School, University of Illinois, Marquette, University of Portland, University of Notre Dame, and an amateur coach. But I'm also a business owner and entrepreneur. On this podcast, I sit down with interesting people and business professionals across the nation who are making a big impact in their communities. I want to find out how they got started and what we can learn from them. I hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe and share your thoughts by leaving a review. All right, hey, listen, we are so lucky to be talking to a good friend of mine, uh, Jim Kelleher, who, you you know, whenever I think of a person I want to talk to that is going to have a positive viewpoint on things. I think of a guy who has built offices from scratch in numerous states throughout the country with all sorts of ambiguity, with all sorts of creativity. You have to get along with employees. You get along with the vendors. You get along with the judges, opposing counsel. I think of one guy, Jim Kelleher, and this is the guy. So I'm so blessed to be able to talk to you today, Jim. How are you?
1: I'm doing great joe uh keep talking you can keep right on going there if you got more nice things to say about me that's that's fine i don't want to cut you
0: off <laughs> oh for sure it's going to keep coming because you know um you know, i run a law firm and um some of the times i have questions on uh you know which way to go uh, on different things and i i always know that if i call jim and it's, it, you know i'll, I'll put a 15 minutes in to talk to him and then i'm like all right i know where i'm going because you, you've built businesses so one of the things I, w- I wanted to, to let our listeners know, what I'm trying to do, Jim, during this time that we're all sheltered in, is talk to, you know, 40 or more real positive people that give us positive news about what's going on in this great country and positive stories. And I thought, oh, I got to get Jim on there because he, he'll be one of those guys. So, Jim, tell me exactly, tell me a little bit about your law firm first, and then we can dive a little deeper. Sure, sure.
1: Sure. Um- Well, you know, thanks for, seriously, Joe, for the kind words. Um, I value your advice and counsel as well. You being a guy, you know, uh, to everybody out there, Joe and I met, uh, we were both falling asleep at a uh, American trial lawyers convention probably 20 years ago, more than that maybe. And, uh, you know, we uh, both kind of looked at each other and went out and had a sandwich for lunch and then a beer after the thing. And we've been friends ever since. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, we've grown from young lawyers to where we are now. middle-aged lawyers, uh, together. And, uh, you know, so I, I feel the same way about you. You're, you're a guy that understands business and understands, uh, the business of a law firm. Um, you know, my quick story, I, I, uh, I ran, uh, Morgan & Morgan for, um, a long time. I started with John, uh, back in the, uh, uh, the mid nineties when, you know, I always say I was there at Morgan & Morgan before it was cool, you know, we were, uh, <laughs> back there and uh, just a handful of lawyers and, uh, I joined, uh, very early on and, uh, uh, grew with the firm and, uh, moved around. And as you mentioned, I, I, uh, had the, uh, the great opportunity of starting several Morgan Morgan, uh, branch offices from scratch. Where do you do that? Uh, And yeah, so, um, started in Orlando, that's where Morgan Morgan's based. Everybody seems to think that, uh, Whatever city they're in, that's where Morgan & Morgan started. You know, John does a good job of leading everybody to believe that they really are in his backyard. But Orlando was the home base. um, And uh, the first place I moved was down to where I am now, uh, southwest Florida. Opened offices in Fort Myers and Naples um, and did that for a bunch of years. And then uh, uh, the first time, uh, really, that we ventured outside of Florida was, uh, was to Atlanta. And I moved up there and uh, started the Atlanta office from absolute scratch, and built that up to uh, when I left, it had sixty or seventy attorneys. And uh, uh, we also at the same time opened offices in Savannah, Georgia, and Columbus, Georgia. Um, And then, you know, to take me a whole other podcast to tell you uh, how this all came about. But basically, in the end of two thousand sixteen, you know, I just had one of those moments where, uh, very proud of what we accomplished at at Morgan, but it's time for me to do something else, and uh, my wife and I sat down and we kind of we loved Atlanta we were living there still, and uh, you know decided that if I was going to start my own thing, where do we want to do it and I 'm from Buffalo New York originally, so we thought about that, but there's a bunch of reasons why we got out of there, so we weren't going back after all those years and then it was either back to Orlando back to uh, Southwest Florida or stay in Atlanta, and we decided to come back uh, down here and uh started uh my own practice uh beginning of two thousand seventeen and uh been roaring along everything uh, was great and um, you know i uh, just had the not to ramble but just had the the great uh privilege of my oldest son just passed the bar and uh, just joined us and uh practicing a lot with one of my kids is a
0: is a great thing so that's me, great so uh, let me let me so this is you know you, you kind of gloss over a lot of stuff but the the, the and, and actually I really will, will want to talk to you down the road about how you build these things because building a, a, a law firm of 60 plus lawyers and then the other other parts of Georgia is an accomplishment in itself but you do that in in Naples and in Fort Myers and all these different places and now you're doing it again um, that's that's not an easy thing to do is it
1: no well you know I I tell everybody that, you know, especially the people that are working with me, when we have rough times, they say, oh my God, oh my God. And I said, hey, look, if this was easy, everybody would do it. You know, we'd have all kinds of people out there running their own firms. It's not easy at all. And, you know, Morgan, Morgan, uh, I've said this a lot too. uh, You know, John used to have seminars all around the country and we'd go around and talk to uh, lawyers and entrepreneurs about, you know, how to build, uh, uh, he used to call it building the million dollar law practice. And, you know, the truth is, you know, John's a smart guy, and, you know, I think I'm pretty smart, but, you know, the reason we're so good at this is we made every mistake known to mankind. I mean, that's how you learn. You know, when we were starting out, we tried everything, so when I, somebody asked me, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, and I said, ah, I wouldn't do that, you know, it's because we tried it. And it didn't work, <laughs> so, so that's the truth, and, you know, I can get into, you know, you, you, you direct me how you want me to go, but I, I can talk about the actual process of, of how we did it and where we did it and and why we do it a particular way you know i love this stuff i could i could go on and on and on about it but uh it uh, it was great i mean there's nothing like it starting out literally when i moved to southwest florida and the phone rang down there this is way before the call center took the calls and everything it was you know it was morgan kelling and gilbert in those days i said morgan and gilbert this is jim how can i help you that was it i answered the phone and then i heard a receptionist it started getting busy Morgan goes, get a damn receptionist. What's the matter with you? And I said, Well, you know, I don't want to spend the money. And he goes, Come on, you gotta find one. So literally I drove, there's a shopping mall about a mile from our office. I drove down there at lunchtime and I walked around in, you know, one of the stores, Macy's or somewhere, and I saw this nice young lady working in there. She's probably in her early 20s. And I went up and started talking to her. And uh she handled herself pretty well. And I said, Hey, uh, you know, are you going to school or what are you doing? And she's looking at me like, you know, why are you talking to me? And uh I said, Well, look, I said, I run a law firm. We need a receptionist. And I said, I'm, you know, looking for somebody. And she goes, Well, how much does that pay? And I said, Well, how much are you making now? And she told me whatever it was. And I told her, like, five bucks more an hour. And she goes, Oh, really? And I said, Yeah. She goes, Yeah, I'm interested in law. I said, When can you start? She goes, Right now. And I said, Really? swear, this <laughs> is a true story. She went in the back and quit. And she walked out, she followed me back to the office, and she was our receptionist down there for years. And uh you know, that's how we built it. You know, it was me and then it was her. And then, you know, we hired somebody to paralegal and it just went from there. And uh, uh, I love that
0: story. That's that, You know, um, so guys that, that uh, you know, men and women that start their own law firms have got all those great stories. But I want to hear about the new renaissance, com. You're building it from, from the ground in 2016, 2017. You've got some of your kids working there now. Um, you're back at the home base tell me how it's going.
1: Sure. Um, you know, the biggest difference this time is, you know, the first time I did it outside of Orlando, um, you know, Morgan Morgan wasn't anywhere near what it is now. But, you know, we still had money. You know, we we all went to the bank and we were able to borrow a seven-figure number. We all had a sign on a line of credit. But, um, you know, we came in pretty well-armed. I mean, we had a couple million bucks coming into southwest florida and you know when i came down here at gym for justice it's all of a sudden you know the banks nowadays they will lend you money as soon as you can prove to them you don't need it you know and and then they'll lend you <laughs> I, had the, I had them tell me oh yeah you want a two million dollar line of credit just deposit two million dollars in our bank and you know we'll we'll use that as security and i'm like yeah, really and so hold it a ball game trying to get the financing so that was the biggest difference is that you know i couldn't come in here the way we did when we went into these other markets, we came in with, you know, our hair on fire and outspend everybody, and you know, and and you know, I we learned how to buy media and how to do it smart and all that stuff. You and I have talked a lot about that, um, but it was a different deal. So you know, we came in and "Jim um, uh, for Justice" became the the tagline, and you know, we started slow on TV, and I, you know, the commercials I've done are true. I talk about my, you know, my dad was a policeman growing up, and you know, we were taught to. You know respect others and work hard and you know and I said look my blue collar upbringing has really helped me as a trial lawyer and there's as an aside over the years another thing we've all talked about there's an amazing correlation between people that come from blue collar working class backgrounds and have had success as trial attorneys and that doesn't mean you have to come from that sure no of course not you know there's no typical trial lawyer. it can be anybody but a lot of people that have that work ethic, it seems, and the ability to you know really uh, dig into something and work at it, have been successful. So um, I've had that with me. And then the biggest difference down here is I we had to do a lot of this organically as I started on TV and and you know the early days of Morgan Morgan, it was yellow page advertising. You know we're on the back of the phone book and then, you know all that's gone. And billboards, you know, they're the next Dodo Bird. You know they're everybody's online and you can. Your presence online is a fraction of the cost of what Carter Outdoor charges you for those, uh, those vinyls. So, you know, we had to do it a different way. I had to adjust and, and come in and not having the money to do it. You just start slow and you have to be able to commit to what you're doing. You can't start advertising and in three months say, oh, my God, I haven't got any cases. I got to quit because that guaranteed failure. We used to laugh at people that would do that. We come into a city and somebody come in and spend all this money and in 90 days they were gone. You know, you gotta, you gotta stay with it. So we did it organically. We came in, started slow on, on TV and on radio and with our website and online presence and then did it the old fashioned way, you know, and I've got uh, one of the uh, outdoor uh, uh, venues here. It was a great idea. A woman owned some land next to a little inlet and she built an outdoor bar and parked a bunch of food trucks in there. It was really genius. And people go down there and you can buy food at the food trucks and have a drink at the bar. And I went to her early on and said, Hey, uh, she, the beer glasses were like, you know, had uh, Miller light and Bud Light and everything else. I said, How about if we put Keller firm on those glasses? She goes, Well, how would that work? I go, Well, I'll pay for them. I go, I'll <laughs> open them and pay for them and put my name on them. She goes, Great, that sounds great. So, you know, that place is now turning into a great gold mine, but everybody's drinking out of a Keller firm glass, you know. So stuff like that is how you can make up, you know, sure out the work and you can make up for the millions that I didn't have. So that's really what we've done.
0: That's great, and so, um, you know, one of the things that that I see with with people that are hungry to start things and is they really do like the I don't know just the necessarily um, the thrill of just f- making something from scratch and then creating something that is, is big, um, and I, I think that that um, that challenge of never giving up, never you know. that's part of like representing the people we represent because most of the time we, when we represent people, they're down at the the bottom of the well and there's no give up there. So if they're going to be hiring a lawyer, you want to find that guy. So that's, I think that story resonates.
1: Oh, Joe, that's, you know, that's rid of the money. I, I say a lot of times if I couldn't do what I do specifically, I wouldn't practice law. And again, I'm not saying anything about anybody else in any other area, but for me being able to dig in, and you you think in the business world, a, a corporation the size of Allstate or State Farm going against, you know, some guy that's that's you know, working for minimum wage out there. I mean, if those if that guy went up against that corporation without us, it'd be over in two minutes. Those companies would crush these poor people. And being able to go in and help these people and you know, really, really dig in, those are the most satisfying cases. You get in and you know, you're the difference between somebody's family being out in the street or, you know, when, when the guy can't work or the, the woman can't get back and, uh, and do what she was doing. You know, being able to recover for them and get them compensated and made whole is just a great thing. That's what keeps me going.
0: All right. Tell me, tell me some, uh, tell me one of your, I know you got a thousand of them, but tell me, tell me a great story, a great, you know, uh, story of uh, a case you had that you felt like, hey, you know, th- th- I really made a difference.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of those. Um, we had one uh, years and years and years ago, and uh, it, we signed a confidentiality, so I got to be with broad strokes here, but um, it was a case where a, uh, a guy was uh, driving along and uh, got uh, rear-ended, and it just was one of those freak accidents. It wasn't that bad of a collision, but his neck snapped and he became uh, quadriplegic. Uh, <sighs> And was just in a wheelchair, and this guy was a high wage earner, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Had a young family. Was probably in his forties. Just a terrible, terrible case. And uh, there was limited coverage on the, the vehicle that hit him. And uh, we sent a demand. And the bad faith laws in Florida, um, the legislature keeps coming after him. But thank God, they uh, there's enough of them there that recognize that if you don't put pressure on these insurance companies, they're never going to do the right thing. Um, and without getting into all the details there, uh, they did not timely pay the policy limits. It was a $100,000 policy, and they didn't do it. And we filed suit, and uh, the law down here is pretty good. If they, you can prove that they, under all the circumstances, could have and should have settled the case, and they failed to protect or insured, uh, you have an opportunity to recover the full measure of damages. So we worked that case up, and uh, we got down to, I'm laughing because it was, there was a funny part to it. Um, you know, they had bad faith counsel in there and the, the, we mediated a bunch of times and couldn't settle it and the starting trial on Monday. And my, uh, former partner, Dan Shepard, great trial lawyer and Danny and I were trying the case and, uh, the, uh, carrier, um, I won't use their name, but it was a, uh, it wasn't one of the big ones. It was a smart uh, carrier. And they called about two weeks off from trial and they said, we want to mediate this case again. And we said, we've done it. We're not going to waste our time again. And they said, no, no, no. And so they flew in the president of the company, the treasurer of the company, and the chairman of the board all flew down for the mediation. And we got in the room, and they we did our presentation. And you know I'm going through everything that you know what we're going to prove and why we think this is a multi-million dollar case. And uh, uh, Dan Shepard uh, interrupts me. Now this is my guy that I'm trying to case with. He goes, Jim, let me just jump in here. He said, "Let me tell you something." He said, I was a defense lawyer before I came over to Morgan Morgan and started doing plaintiff's work. And he said, and the largest verdict in this county's history was against me. I was on the receiving end of it. And let me tell you what I told the insurance company Friday before the trial. I said, we're going to get wrung up. We're going to get creamed. You got to settle the case. And they didn't listen to me. He said, so let me give you some advice, guys. And he folds his thing over. He goes, I'm going to get ready for trial. He said, because I have faith that you guys can't help yourself and you'll never settle this case. Jim, you take it from here. And Dan storms out. And they're all looking at me like this. So the president starts making this pitch about how they can't afford to settle the case they don't have any money. And he tells this whole thing. And their bad faith counsel stands up. And he says, this is great. looks over, he goes, look, I've made a career of representing insurance companies. And he looks over and he goes to our client, he goes, you know, Mr. Smith, he said, let me tell you something. He said, I don't say this very often, but the best decision you made in your life was hiring these two guys. He said, because they had been relentless. And he said, and I'm telling you right now, we are going to settle this case today because Mr. Shepard's right. We know what's going to happen if we go to trial. So we stayed there all day and all night and settled that case. Now, on a, this was a $100,000 policy on a confidential settlement that was somewhere between 20 and 22 million dollars. I can't tell you exactly where, but uh, somewhere between those two numbers, and it changed our client's life, and it was all because we didn't care. We just plowed ahead, and we were looking out for him, and it was a fantastic result. You talk about feeling good that day when you see that guy's kids and wife. Great day. I bet. Do you still take contact with him? Sure do. Birthday cards every year, Christmas cards, and I, uh, great guy, great guy, still working. The guy's out, you know, still with his wheelchair and everything else is working and, and, you know, just
0: changed careers and did something different, but, um, yeah, so the, the little of the backstory and, and we're going to have Jim back because I could talk, with. I mean, I wish we had some beers and we were, we were at a barstool somewhere. Cause this is good stuff. But the, <laughs> the, 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 the fun story about Jimmy is that, uh, this guy is a hundred percent, maybe 110% Buffalo. Okay. Grew up in Buffalo. I've never met a bigger NFL slash Buffalo Bills fan than this guy. Now, I, I commiserate with you a little bit here, although not as much because my Seattle Mariners have never, ever been to the World Series. At least, you know, the Bills have been to the Super Bowl. Uh, my Seattle Mariners since 77 have never been there, even when Ishiro Suzuki – was there in 2001 when they, they set the record for the most wins, 116 wins, and the Yankees beat them for to to the World Series. But this guy is all Buffalo. So give us a little background of why you're so intense about that.
1: Yeah, it's, um, um, they, uh, there's a saying, there's a guy named Eric Brady who was uh, a sports reporter in Buffalo until they closed – these are two newspapers – until they closed one back in the 80s. And he was one of the first sports reporters for USA Today when it was just coming out. And he worked for them. He lived in deep, moved to D.C., left Buffalo and was down there. And he coined a phrase a long time ago. He goes, Buffalo's not where we're from. It's who we are. And he says that it's, you know, you can. And then the great Tim Russert, you know, Tim Russert was yeah. a Buffalo guy from my neighborhood. And he had a couple of great lines. He said, Buffalo, you're born a Democrat, baptized a Catholic and a Bills fan from birth. You don't have a choice about any of the three. <laughs> His other, my favorite is, he says very seriously, he "goes the three most important things in my life my God, my family, and my Buffalo Bills, and not necessarily
0: in that order. <laughs> well, so, yeah, so I know that you get back to see some of those games, right? Still have season tickets. God, I,
1: I sit with the same group of people. We all held hands and cried in uh, uh, 1990 when we made the Super Bowl in Tampa and uh, sit next to the same people and uh, – we're like the Brooklyn Dodgers were back in the fifties. You know, we say, yeah, you just wait till next year. You know, that's been our motto forever, but uh, hope springs eternal. I just posted on Facebook this morning, a article where uh, one of the uh, NFL writers said that uh, Josh Allen, uh, the bill's quarterback is the dark horse MVP candidate this year. And the bills are going places and, you know, I'm eating it up here. Now it's May, of course, we're always very competitive in May, but uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great part of it. And, you know, being honest, you know, I, 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 left Buffalo voluntarily, you know, way back when, but, um, a bunch of reasons The the main one being, um, I didn't, uh, my, in those days that I was a young lawyer, the children of the senior partners of my firm were getting out of college and none of them were coming back to Buffalo. There was no jobs. And, you know, the one guy had a son in Charlotte and a daughter in Phoenix and, uh, another son and you know, somewhere else. And they're all moving for, for jobs. And I married the girl down the street from me, you know, the um, same neighborhood, same everything. And, you know, both coming from big families. And I said, look, I said, really, truly, I said, I want our kids to grow up the way we did, you know, with their brothers and sisters, all our cousins running around, you know, and the same thing. And I said, if we stay here. That's not going to happen. I said, they're going to be all over the country. So, and I said, aside from the economic, you know, downturn up there, and I think I can do better practice in law. And, you know, yeah, the weather was part of it but all of that together is what led us to go. And, you know, it was, it was great for us. Uh, She made me promise two things. This is funny. She reminds me of this all the time. I had just run for the state Senate up in New York as a young lawyer and ran against a 32 year incumbent, you know, and guess what? I lost. (laughs) And uh, when that was, uh, was over, uh, I started talking about moving and I'm talking to her and finally she says, okay, she goes, you got to promise me two things and I'll go to Florida. I said, what are the two things? She goes, first of all, you got to promise me in a year, if we hate it, we can come home. I said, that's easy. You know, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? So that'd be an easy one. I go, what's the other thing? She goes, no more politics. She goes, you got to promise me you're done with that. You'll practice law. And, you know, now a little side story. She came, her dad was on the city council in Buffalo, which is where all the power is up there. He's a councilman forever. Um, Her sister's husband was... um, was a uh, on the council also, and he ran against ran for Congress against Jack Kemp, who was our congressman way back when, um, but she comes you know she grew up putting yeah. in mailboxes, and she just hated it. so um, I learned when I ran that you know politics back then was it was great and it was exciting, but I liked being a lawyer a lot more, and I liked that, so that was easy too. so we moved and uh, you know never looked back but the buffalo tie, all of our family's still there, all of my family, all of her family, nobody's left and uh both her parents have passed and my mom's gone but my dad's 91 he's still up there and uh yeah we use football games as an excuse but you know we go back and we we stay in touch with you know the people that we grew up with and uh and uh we got to go back and you know i'm sure everybody that uh moved away from where they started has their list of places they have to eat when they go back so that's uh that's standard behavior we got our restaurants that you have to hit to get the buffalo cuisine favorites so it's great great.
0: so so, um one of the things that that I I always like to ask folks that are you know very successful is maybe you could share with us some of the habits that you have. I mean, listen, I you know there's there's a guy um, on the internet, um, Gary V. I don't know if you've ever heard him before. He's the best. He's, he's great, but he he defines success differently than a lot of people and. You know, I, I, I kind of believe him a little bit. You know, he defines sex, not, not success not about money, how much money you're making. I mean, sure, money's great and it's, it's fun, but but you've carved a life now where you have a law firm that you run, your kids work at your law firm, your, your relatives at work at your law firm, you're teaching them how to be the best trial lawyer through all your wealth of experience. That's got to feel successful. I mean, to, to me that's that's really great is that when you have people from all you know your your group that you're putting to get to, to work but how what kind of habits do you have Jim that that has got you to the point where you, you know it's repeated success sure sure um,
1: bunch of things on that um, the uh, uh, habits myself you know the good Lord gave me the ability to talk and you know maybe that's a Irish trade I don't know but uh, you know I uh, I, I have uh, my ability to be able to relate to people and, and talk. And I'm not trying to sound khaki here at all, but um, you know, I, I thought as a kid, do I want to go to medical school or law school? Cause I want to make money. You know, I'm thinking about what am I going to do? And I found out that, you know, medical school requires, you know, science and that kind of stuff. And I had no interest in that. And being a lawyer was talking, I go, I'm pretty good at that. So um, that's one thing that I've been blessed with. But the other things I go back to my earlier, my blue collar roots, you know, I mean, I get up every morning. I mean, get up early every morning, and every day. And, you know, I'm not horsing around. I get into work. And that makes up for a whole lot of things when you're a hard worker. And, again, that's my blue-collar background. I mean, I had my first paper route when I was 12. And I had a, you know, my first, my uh, dad's sister was a mercy nun and ran the Catholic hospital in our neighborhood. She hired me when I was 14. I wouldn't even, you know, I didn't even have working papers. But she stuck me in the mail room. So, you know, I, I've been doing it. So that's a big thing, too. You know, that's another trait. And then another one is I am hyperactively impatient. I I <laughs> I, uh, I don't I don't wait well. That's one of my lines, and that has has always um, has always driven me, has always um, has always uh, pushed me, and and and, uh, and and made me keep going forward. Um, and you know, you talk about um, how you define success. Um, you know, when I was young, it was money. I mean, money was. I wanted money, but it was more a way they kept score. I mean, to me, it was like the more you made, the better you were. And, you know, as you get older, you realize that that isn't the answer at all. But, when, you know, when I was young, I, I'll tell you a quick story. My, the, the guy who was, you know, one of my, my, my first mentor and one of the big influences on my, my life as a, an attorney, a guy named Tom Casey, uh, hired me out of law school, and i go to lunch with him one day, and he pulled out a gold American Express card and paid for lunch and I looked at it and I go whoa I go how do you get one of those he goes well you got to make $50,000 a year and I was making I think he started me at like $15,000 when I came out of school and so I never forgot that I saw that gold Amex and I wanted one you know and I'm working and working then he started bonusing me on business I brought in and you know so finally the day that I made $50,000 I sent in my application to American Express and they denied me and I appealed it and one day I got the gold amex card in the mail and i was so happy i was out using that and i was a big shot and then you know six months or so later him and i are at lunch and he pays and he pulls out a platinum american express card. i said well, how do you get one of those he goes you got to make a hundred thousand dollars so you can see where i'm going you know the day i made a hundred thousand i got myself a platinum you know card and yeah. then i found what a black card was and you know you keep going and they're all phony things, you know, you find out that, you know, the more money you make has really nothing to do with happiness. I mean, sure. Money's important. You said it. I mean, you got to take care of your family and as good Lord has been good to me and I've been able to provide for them all and have a nice house and, you know, take vacations and do all the stuff you want to be able to do for your family, but how you define success. um, I really like what I do and I really enjoy it. And I didn't push any of my four kids to law school, but you know, three of the four ended up there. And the one that didn't, she's a realtor, she married a lawyer. So, you know, I think that what they saw in me and the way that we, you know, the, the life we've had and the, the passion I have for my work has brought them into the business. And, you know, that's a sign of success, I think, because I can't think of a better profession than what we do. I mean, it's, it's just constantly challenging and interesting and different people and different problems. And, you know, they say, if you love what you do, you've never worked a day in your life. And man, that's, that's me. For
0: sure. Yeah. So, um, but you're just beginning, man. This is, this is like, you know, when you say that we're middle-aged, I, I'm with you, brother. I, I you know, I, I you know, we, we get going on these things and I love, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the business of, of developing people too. I, I want folks that work with me to become the leaders in their field. Sure. And so that's the kind of team we're putting together. And I know that's the type of team you're putting together. I, I'm laughing because on the Zoom call, which we are all, you're ubiquitous now, on yours, it's a Mary Claire Kelleher under your name. And you know what I think is the best part about that is that that is your family business. <laughs> you are like, so I have six kids. You have four kids, right? Yeah, four. Yeah. yeah, four kids. And that's our life. I mean, and, you know, one of the things is when I get down to Naples is I was always call Jim because I, I want to know where he's going to be hanging out. And so... I know faith plays a big part in your life, Jim. Um, And I know you're very private about that, but you know, when I, when I see all the great stuff that you're doing uh, at, at these different, you know, the high school in Naples and then the the law school there. um, Can you share with us how your faith life blends in with, with your idea for success?
1: Sure. I mean, it's, it's really the whole thing. Um, I uh, grew up in a, you know, very, Catholic household. Uh, both my parents are, you know, just, just were wonderful with us. Um, you know, my dad, it was, you know, we you were going to mass every Sunday. And there was no excuse. If you were sick, you were never sick enough, you know, he'd <laughs> there, and he'd sit at the end of the pew and, you know, people would leave early and all that. And he'd stand there until the priest was down off the altar and leave in, and he wouldn't move. And I'd say to him, Dad, I mean, come on, Mass is over. He said, it's not over until the priest is back in the sacristy. So, I mean, it was that, that was the way I was raised. And my dad went to morning Mass every day. And, you know, I went away to college, and I went to a Catholic uh, uh, undergrad. And um, the, uh, uh, it was a Jesuit school, and the Jesuit uh, who lived in our dorm lived on my floor. And he used to have Mass Sunday night at 11 o'clock. And he would say, actually, it wasn't 11 o'clock. It was after the 9 o'clock movie, because when things ran late, the 11 o'clock movie, 9 o'clock movie wouldn't end until 11.15. And we'd walk down to his room on our floor and have mass on Sunday nights. And he used to say to the rest of the floor, he said, if you can't walk down to my room and spend 20 minutes to give thanks to the good Lord on Sunday night, there's no hope for your soul. He would tell them all that. And that's what kept me, you know, everybody questions things in college and you kind of go off. And that kept me focused and being in that environment was great and you know i get out and you know and for a while when i'm young you know i, I went pretty much all the time but it just in the back of my mind my dad getting up every morning and going to mass was was just there always and a long time ago i mean joe it's probably 20 plus years or 25 years ago probably maybe even longer god i've been married 32 so and i think i was doing it then maybe it was longer than 30 years ago um i started going to morning mass and yeah i try to go every day and this now, I just was texting with the parish priest down here because they just lifted the, uh, uh, there was no masses allowed, and they just lifted it. So Monday, um, we can go back, and I texted the the parish priest, and I said, hey, what's the schedule for, you know, morning mass? And he goes, well, we're just going to do one at noon. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, I got to tell you, Father, I said, I have been so off kilter. I mean, I, 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 I started watching daily mass on Zoom and things, but it wasn't the same. You know, you to totally to not the it. same can't receive the Eucharist. And it just, so I didn't, I didn't do it every day. And, you know, I just, I'm so off, my whole thing's off and it's hard to put your finger on it. And I told him that and he goes, you don't know how many people have told me that. He said, we'll be back to normal here. So just to to answer the question, I mean, you know, it's been a big part because, um, and again, not to get deep into this, but, you know, if you believe, you know, God has a plan for everybody. And, you know, it's his plan, not my plan. And, you know, I'm just along for the ride here. And the fact that I am I am where I am, um, I've had stumbles along the way for sure, and I've had all kinds of things. Everybody has a cross you got to bear. But at the end of the day, I believe I'm where I am because it was his will and his plan, and, you know, he gave me the, the ability and the, the focus and the, the hard work and things I've talked about to get me here. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for everything I have.
0: Yeah. You know, I, 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 the the one thing that, you know, you hit on all the the great things, um, but you know, to, to me, it's, it, again, it's, it's the habits of, of life. I think and one of the, the number one habits I think people need to have is an attitude of gratitude. And so, um, obviously, you know, you and I come from, you know, uh, blue collar type roots. My, my father was a, uh, a social worker, um, And I think he topped out about 18 grand a year um, back in the 80s or something like that. But, um, you know, both, both my parents, you know, they knew everything that they had was a gift from God and they thanked God for that. And so I think starting your day, being grateful for that and it make and then asking for the help to deal with all of the the stuff that we deal with every day, that's a, that's a good practical move. I mean, so for, for people listening that they don't think that, hey, this is all mystical, et cetera, I, I think it's very practical. I think it's, it helps us to become better human beings because I think these golden rules, I mean, treat people like you want to be treated is a pretty good thing. Sure. So I think it's really a good thing to do. and I think it does reinforce the humility that, that I think we as humans need to have that we don't have all the answers.
1: Oh, it centers you. I mean, to me, that, that half-hour Mass in the morning just puts it all in perspective, just all everything you mentioned. I mean, the readings you hear every day, it's great stuff. You know, it's yeah. great. It's, it's how to live your life. And there's, you know, even if somebody doesn't believe, you know, you don't believe in Jesus Christ and, you don't know, whatever, 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 just the rules make sense. You know, I, I often say about it, a different example, but, you know, uh, AA, you know, I have a lot of people in my family that have drinking issues and go to AA, and, you know, and again, they talk about a higher power and all this, but if you listen to the rules that that Alcoholics Anonymous sets out, it's a great way to live your life. They all make sense. Yeah. Every single sure. one of them is be accountable, be thankful, you know, right down the line. And, you know, religions, it's the same thing. It, it you know, I, I think, I mean, to me, if anybody takes a look at, you know, history and how we got where we are, I don't see how you could not believe. But if you don't, Still, they're great things. Treat other people, you know. That you got to look at it. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. I mean, you know, be considerate, be kind, be humble. You know, be thankful. You know, help those who need help. All great things. You know. Right, and then recognize. Obviously,
0: and I have a full recognition that that you know, I have a lot of hypocrisy in my life. Um, and I'm, you know, I like to say a lot of stuff that I don't do, but I try and try and try. That's why I ask for help. But the one thing that uh, we'll close it up on this, but great story was, um, last time I was down in Florida, I asked Jim, I said, listen, we're going to go to morning mass. And he said, well, listen, why don't you go over to this, this, uh, Catholic high school in Naples and check it out. And, uh, so I go over there and basically it's me and Jim and then the school principal was a Catholic nun and the priest and maybe a couple other nuns. And I'm like, boy, this is a pretty select group. What, what is that six o'clock in the morning, Jim? Oh was 645. Yeah. <laughs> six, so I'm there. And then, so then I'm, now, just getting to the story here. So then afterwards, I, I, I said, you know, cause I, I went to Catholic school throughout, but my grade school, the, the Dominican nuns were the teachers. And so they, I was a real rowdy kid and I was the number nine of 10 and just spoiled like crazy. And these nuns just kind of really never gave up on me. Never, never, ever gave up on me. And I was, I, I and Jim introduced me to the, uh, the principal there. Uh, why don't you just tell us a little story about her and, and, uh, before you wrap this up, Jim, just a role model for us.
1: Oh, yeah. She's, I say this, and I mean this in a very complimentary way. She is old school. I mean, it is Sister Patricia, it's her way or the highway, and it is a great thing. You know, they wear the full habits. You know, there's no, no, and again, I'm not criticizing anybody, but they wear the flowing veil and the deal and the long um, garment, and she is tough as nails. There's no mincing words. Boy, you, you know, you try to watch these kids try to sell her on something. And she listens to it, and they finish, and she goes, "Yeah, well, that's not true. And that's not the truth. You know, it's not the truth." I mean, she's right on them. And parents, same thing. They come in. You know, my Susie wouldn't do that. My Jimmy wouldn't do that. She goes, "Well, they did." You know, this is and this is the way it's going to go. And they would say, "Well, I don't think that's fair." And she goes, "Well, life isn't fair." She goes, "I'm making the decisions here." She goes, "I'm doing what I think is best for this school, and that's the decision." And you know, you're welcome to disagree with me, but that's the way it's going to be. And It is just so refreshing because, you know, and they they have such a great, I'll just give you this to to finish. You know, they're graduating class this year. You know, as everybody knows, all the seniors had no senior prom and no graduation and all that. So the nuns, and they've got some great younger nuns that are in there too. These are uh, Salesian sisters, St. John Bosco. And uh, they got in the school van and they drove around to every graduating senior's house, the nuns. And when they came down the street, they blew horns and rang bells out there so everybody would come out of their house wondering what the heck was going on. And they got out and they brought the the, uh, uh, graduation thing and the cap and they brought any awards that they won and their diploma. And they went out in the front lawn with correct social distancing and gave it to the kids and clapped and led the whole neighborhood in cheers. And they did it for every single senior as they drove around to them and they were dressed goofy, you know, they had sunglasses on with their habits, and, you know, all this other stuff, and it was just great, I mean, they're just the most wonderful people in the world, and the school that, you know, we've been about there a long time, my, um, my kids went there, um, my older two, and we were there before, you know, the school was good, you know, it was struggling, there's a lot of competition down here, a lot of private schools, a lot of money, and it's the only Catholic high school in, in Naples, and, uh, you know, we were fortunate to be able to raise some money and do some things, and you look at it now, with these, they, they, it used to be a Christian brothers school and they left and the, the Salesian sisters came in and they have just turned it around. I mean, it is, I can say this with all sincerity and humility. It's the best school in Naples. I mean, it is just a great, great, that place. is a
0: great story, Jimmy. Good
1: stuff. Good stuff. That's Joe. good. Hey, well, listen, will you, will you talk to us again sometime? Anytime, my friend, I, you know, me and talking and I'm happy to do it. I, uh, I can uh, any topic you throw
0: out there, I'm ready to go. I want to. He- I want to hear uh, in the coming years another story about you taking on that that insurance company that's not paying because of some reason, and then you guys making sure that that family's taken care of. So, get oh, get, get a couple of those in the column, and then we'll uh, we'll rehash. Beautiful. All right. Anybody
1: have need, a great day, Jimmy? Anybody needs a lawyer out in uh, the uh, Midwest? If you don't
0: call Joe Shannon, you're making a mistake. Hey, in Florida, Jim for justice. You can follow him all over social media and um, just Google uh, Jim Kelleher. He's your guy. This guy is honest to the day is long and just a great. And then you know what? You'll get a friend. That's the thing that, that, that I love about this business is, you know, it's about relationships. You know, um, if you're out there building a business, if you're out there, and I don't care what business you're in. It's all about relationships and how you come through for people and, and Jim's your guy. So Anyway, uh, great talking to you, Jim. We'll catch up with you later. All right, Joe. See you, bud. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at ShannonLawGroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.